It's 4 o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady, and I'm going to be with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. I want to welcome all of those of you who are listening here in Colorado and up and down the Front Range on Grace FM. We also want to say hello to all of you listening on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. We also want to say hi to everybody who's listening online on gracefm.com. So awesome to have that opportunity to listen anywhere in the world. So everybody, welcome to the program. So glad you tuned in. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or you can text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. That's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. If you have questions about the Bible or if things going on in your life, things that you would like prayer for or praise uh, report, you can call us or text us at those numbers. So starting today, I am going to be hosting Calvary Live every Monday. I'm really excited about that. Up until now, uh, it has been Pastor Nate Morris, who is at Calvary Chapel in Vail Valley. He's done a great job. He's a great personal friend of mine. And um, Nate uh, has stepped away from the show because of uh, other responsibilities. And that's opened up the opportunity for me to step up. I've been a stand-in for uh, some time now. Just whenever there was a, a need, I've been able to host the show, but now I'm going to be hosting every week, and I'm excited to do that. I'm excited to get to take your calls and answer some questions on the air. To tell you a little bit about myself, I am the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church in Longmont, Colorado. Whitefields meets, for those of you who know this area, we meet in downtown Longmont at uh, the corner of Kaufman and Longs Peak Avenue, which is right downtown in Longmont, right in the city center, and it's right adjacent to the city park, which is called Roosevelt Park. So we are on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park in the St. Vrain Memorial Building, and we meet there every Sunday at 10 a.m., and we'd love for you who are in the area, maybe you're in Longmont, maybe you're in the surrounding towns, whether that's Lyons or or Mead, or whether you're in Frederick, Firestone, Decono area, or even in Lafayette and Erie, in Boulder even, we'd love for you to come and check us out. You can also check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com, and you can hear me every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We have a show that airs on Grace FM called Life in the Field, which are our sermons edited for the radio. Uh, This Sunday at Whitefields, we are going to be beginning a new series that I'm really excited about. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but 2017 marks the 500-year anniversary of what is generally considered to be the beginning of the Reformation. And so on October 31st, before anybody ever thought to call it Halloween, it was the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And that is generally seen as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. So for the anniversary of the Reformation, 500-year anniversary, uh, at Whitefields, we're going to be doing a series where we're going to look at the five solas of the Reformation. So each week, we're going to take a look at one of the five distinctive solas of the Reformation. So those are, you know, Scripture alone, sola scriptura. That's what we're going to be looking at this coming Sunday. And then we're going to go on from there and look at grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. So we'll take a week to look at each of those. And it's um, 
it's going to be great. We're looking forward to that very much. And uh, we have been studying the letter to the Hebrews on Sunday mornings, which has been just an awesome study. But what I've found is that when there are these longer studies that we do, where we go verse by verse and chapter by chapter, sometimes it really helps to split those up and take a break. And so it, it works out just perfectly that for the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation, we're going to be able to take a break and look at the five solas for five weeks, and then we'll get back into Hebrews right before Christmas and then into the new year. So it's a good weekend to come check us out at Whitefields if you've never done so before. I also want to let you know about a great event that's going on that my wife and I are going to be attending tomorrow. It's down in Cherry Creek, so a bit of a ways from Longmont, but for many of our listeners, it might be close to you. Author Eric Metaxas is going to be speaking at Cherry Creek Presbyterian Church tomorrow. You have to get tickets. It's an event that's being hosted there. But if you know Eric Metaxas, uh, he's a great author, has written some great biographies. He wrote one on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And just earlier this month, he came out with one by, um, well, by him, but it's about Martin Luther. And so I've been reading that book, very much enjoying it. So I'd tell you to Google that, check it out. Author Eric Metaxas speaking tomorrow in Cherry Creek. Let's go ahead and take some of our calls and texts that are coming in. Let's go to line one where we've got Danny in Aurora. Hi, Danny. Hello. Hi. Well, you're on the air. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry. Who, who is this again? This is Pastor Nick. Pastor Nick. Hey, how you doing, Pastor Nick? Sorry about that. That's okay. um, I had a question um, about, you know, I, I went home. Uh, this past week for my grandfather's funeral, mm-hmm. and my uh, found out that my cousin is involved in uh, Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, I was just trying to find out, um, you know, apologetics and things, uh, you know, like that for Freemasonry, and you know, like uh, any resources that you could recommend. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. no, there's a lot of Freemason stuff up here in Longmont, too. I notice it sometimes. In fact, I'm on the board mm-hmm. of Longmont Christian School here in Longmont. And uh, interesting, we bought this building a couple of years ago, and it had a big stamp on the side of it that, you know, it was dedicated by the Freemasons. <laughs> and so yeah. there's, um, there's a lot of, you know, concern about what the Freemasons are about. And a lot of the hard, you know, the, what makes it difficult is that um, it's a secret organization. So uh, yep. so they're very secretive about what they do believe and what their practices are. Uh, I think I would just want to clarify to anybody, you know, that not everybody who is involved in Freemasonry is necessarily a cultist or, you know, a, it's. but I would say at this, on the other hand, it's not a Christian organization. And there are many Christians who have left Freemasonry after discovering what it's about. In fact, there's even a website that I'm just looking up right now called uh, mm-hmm. Ex-Masons for Jesus. And so they might, yep. that would might be a good website for you to start with. Maybe just Google mm-hmm. that, Ex-Masons for Jesus. Uh, yeah. And maybe they could give you some, these are people who I guess have been in the organization and have got out of it. Um, right. Here, here's what I would say, though. I know that they're not a Christian organization. Um, they promote belief in a supreme being. Mm-hmm. But so in that sense, they're kind of universalist in the sense that mm-hmm. they um, they don't necessarily promote belief in Jesus. And so, um, you know, I, I think there would probably be a lot of debate as to whether or not you can even be a Christian and be involved in that organization. Personally, me, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I would 
keep away from it just um, in general, just because of, of the, the baggage that it comes with. I'll tell you uh, one perspective I have just as a Christian is that I want to be known for the controversy of the gospel and no other controversies, right? Like if I'm going to be involved in a controversy or if I'm going to take part in something that's controversial, uh, I only want to be known for the controversy of the gospel. And so I, I make it my goal, especially as a pastor, but I think it's wise, even just for Christians in general, not to get too embroiled in politics and other controversies, but to make sure that we are known for and known about the controversy of the gospel and not to mm -hmm. mix anything else in with that. So just personally for me as a Christian, I think it's unwise. The group seems to be so vague uh, and seems to be caught up in so much... Um, hearsay and controversy that I think it's wise for Christians to avoid it. But uh, as far as resources, that would be what I'd um, point you to, is that uh, the ex-Masons for Jesus. Right, but, okay. All right. I mean, because I always find it interesting when I hear you guys talking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so a lot of times I hear you guys say, you know, personally, or my belief, or what I think you know, and, um, you know, and, and a lot could say, you know, the same things that you said about Freemasonry could be said about Christianity. You know, so, I mean, I guess, and I know you weren't trying to just, con you know, to convince me and, and, and apologize and all that. I guess, I guess I'm looking for, you know, um, I guess, yeah, I wish I could find somebody who uh, has experience dealing with Masons uh, and how to talk to talk with them because a lot of the a lot of the books and stuff that I've looked at uh, you know uh, or people that I heard talk about it they they say that um, it's really hard to talk with them you know because for example my cousin right now he sees Freemasonry as oh they're great people you know you know we're, we're, we just we do good and we help others out and and because of the level that he's at he's this you know this stuff that is the real deal is not revealed to him, you know, yeah. because they are so so secret. They're even secret within within the degrees. You <laughs> you, right. you you know, there's only so much information revealed, and so it's like there's nothing that I can say. It seems seems like, you know. Anyway, um, is your cousin I guess a Christian? What's that? Is your cousin a Christian? You know, I I know that he has exposure to that. Uh, whether or not he's made a sincere uh, commitment to Christ, uh, I don't know. Um, I did send him that link, uh, you know, to the ex-Masons and some other books that uh, I found are really, ex like, probably, I don't know if it's the most extensive uh, research done on Freemasonry, mm -hmm. uh, but it's this book. It's uh, called Unveiling... Freemasonry's idolatry, okay. um, and then there's another book, uh, Freemasonry Facts. Mm -hmm. I can't remember who to buy, but I started reading both of those. Um, anyway, I sent him a, a verse that essentially said that, um, you know, I, I tell him you can always tell a cult uh, from uh, their secrecy, mm -hmm. um, you know, because especially when you have to make a um, an oath. Uh, with, you know, essentially, uh, you know, with your own life saying that you will not reveal anything. Um, I said, that, and that's darkness. I said, compare this to what Christ said 
when he said, um, I can't remember exactly where it is, I'm trying to remember where it is, I think it's in Matthew or Luke, one of the two, where he's saying that uh, whatever I tell you, or he said uh, something like, I can't remember if this is the beginning or the end of it, but he says, do not fear those um, you know, who do things in, in, the, in the dark and in secrecy, uh, essentially, paraphrasing. And then he goes on to say, you know, what I, whatever I tell you, in the in in secret and, and in the darkness or whisper in your ear, proclaim it to, to, from the rooftops. You know, proclaim it aloud for all to hear. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, there and, are other verses that would say similar things. I mean, another good place to go is like Ephesians chapter four, where he talks about bringing the deeds of darkness into the light. And yeah. so I, I'm in agreement with you about that. That I think that things that are done in secrecy, where you're having to swear secrecy, that's that's not a healthy thing. And in fact, it can you know, tip you off that something's not right and something's not healthy there. I guess the thing, you know, uh, I honestly am not very well versed with Freemasonry just because I, it's such a secretive organization. Like you're saying, even your cousin who's involved in it, he doesn't even really know what it's about. I would say, um, you know, from a theological perspective, as a, a pastor's perspective, here's why I wouldn't want anybody to be involved with Freemasonry from a theological point of view. First of all, it's that that view about having a supreme being who's not God and having to um, you must believe in this supreme being, which includes the gods of Islam, Hinduism and every world religion. So that's what I was saying earlier when I was saying it's a universalist perspective on God. It's basically saying that everybody who believes whatever, we affirm all of those things. And the Bible absolutely does not. And so I guess if you're saying, you know, why why am I just saying my opinion is I'd stay away from it? Well, I'll give you my opinion as a, a pastor and theologian based on the Bible is that here's one reason why I'd stay away from it. Theologically, yeah. it's it's not good, right? Like so they just say, believe in whatever you want uh, as long as you believe in some kind of deity or being and the bible absolutely says no that the, there there are different uh, spiritual beings and mm. they're not all good and so right. therefore we shouldn't affirm all spiritual beings we should um, hold to the word of god the person of jesus christ uh, who alone is the sacrifice for sins and mm -hmm. who alone is the savior so i uh, i think that's um i think that's the big obvious one but yeah. again, I don't know the idiosyncrasies of their their beliefs because I'm, you know, like I said, they don't even let their members know that stuff. So, well, uh, yeah, I mean, they they have revealed a lot, but uh, people don't know about it. But it's it's as you study their their leaders and the people that they exalt, uh, you you examine their writings and things like that. And I think that's where I guess I'm headed. I mean, I guess my my question is like, man, I mean, like how. <laughs> it's kind of like my job and what I do. I mean, like I'm constantly studying for my job. It's like, is that what I have to do? Do I have to study the darkness in order to be able to, uh, you know, defend the, the faith? And, and you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, because I know like Paul, he, he knew a lot of the uh, philosophers and what they had written and, and things like that. So it's like, man, you know, like, you know, I mean, it granted, it's probably... Yeah, it comes to a point of being able to effectively speak to the person you're speaking to. And uh, yeah. I don't know if this is so much about defending the faith as it is about trying to bring somebody out of darkness and bringing light into darkness. And so, mm. you know, I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, um, people ask him, how do you defend the Bible? And he said, well, how do you defend a lion? Right? Like, 
do you need to defend a lion? Doesn't the lion defend itself? Right, right. And I think that that's absolutely true. So, you know, why don't you, I would just encourage you, bring the light of the gospel into your cousin's life. And uh, I would approach it more from that perspective. Be like, uh, you know, bro, I love you. Uh, you're my cousin. And I want to tell you about what God has done in my life. I want to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. Start with that. And then you can go from there and, and he will see and the Holy Spirit's going to show him the incongruencies of being part of a secret organization like that. And um, I think that's always the better approach is rather than trying yeah. to uh, tear down Freemasonry, why don't you start with bringing in the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the work of conviction and bringing him out of that group, especially if right now he's just really at a superficial level. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me pray for your here. cousin. What's yeah. his name? Uh, Corey. Okay, let's pray for Corey. Heavenly Father, we pray for Corey. Just everyone listening to, we are in agreement. Lord, we ask that uh, you would bring the light of the gospel into his life. It sounds like uh, he, he's not sure if he's even a Christian. And, and so, Lord, we ask that he would have assurance of faith and that his faith would be founded in Jesus and what you did for him on the cross in bringing salvation. Lord, I pray that he would receive that salvation, that he would, uh, you would seal him by your Holy Spirit and make him your own. And as you do that, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit in him would give him the conviction to turn away from things which are incongruent with you and, and incongruent with being a disciple of Jesus. Lord, I pray that he would truly be your disciple and know you and have eternal life and be your child. And so I pray for his cousin here and I pray, Lord, that you would give Danny so much uh, wisdom in how to speak to him and, Lord, that you would anoint him that when he presents the truth of your word and the truth of the gospel that his cousin Corey would be receptive to it. So we all say this in agreement and we pray in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thank, Thank you, you Danny, so for calling in. All right. God bless you. Sure. Thank you. Right, God bless you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. We have three open lines right now, so it's a great time to call in. You can also text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. So while we're waiting for the calls to come in, let's go ahead and go to our text line and check out some of the texts that have come in in the meantime. We have a text that asks this question. Once you're saved, can you lose your salvation? Once you're saved, can you lose your salvation? So it's very interesting that we got that question. I just spoke yesterday at our church. We we're studying through the book of Hebrews, and we... Um, we're studying a section which is really kind of, in some ways, it's a controversial section. It's a sticky kind of text because it's it's hard to really understand, okay, what is he saying here and what are the implications of it for us? So I'm going to read it to you because it absolutely applies to this question of whether once you've been saved, can you lose your salvation? So here's the text. It is saying this. It's Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 4. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. 
for the land that has drunk the rain and often falls on it, or that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sakes it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Okay, so the question again was, once you're saved, can you lose your salvation? So here's what I would say to you. I would say that you have to understand this text in in context of what it's talking about. But first of all, I want to address the phrase losing your salvation. This is kind of a uh, one of those Christian cliche phrases that, um, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying negatively, I think sometimes Christian cliche phrases can be helpful. I use them sometimes, and I'm sure that uh, many of us do, and they have been uh, helpful. But the fact is that if it's not in the Bible, then we're able to take a a phrase like that and examine it and decide whether or not it's actually biblical or whether we should continue using it. So the phrase, you know, can you lose your salvation? Personally, I don't like that phrase because I think it implies a few things. First of all, I think it's kind of, uh, it implies something that happens to you on accident, right? Like, so I lost my keys. I didn't mean to. I lost them. I misplaced them. I lost this. I lost that. It's something that happens to you on accident. And so do I think that you can lose your salvation, let's say, on accident? Absolutely not. I, I think that the fact is that, you know, Jesus promises in John chapter 10 that I know my sheep, and he says that I will not let the enemy take them out of my hand. And here's the other part of that. The Bible says that if you have become a Christian for real, then you it says that you have been born again to new life spiritually. Now let me ask you this. Once you've been born again, can you get unborn again somehow? Or how about this one? If you have been become a Christian and then you, um, that Bible says that if that has happened, then God gives you his Holy Spirit as a seal, as a guarantee that you are his and that you belong to him. So let me, once you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, can you just get unsealed by the Holy Spirit? You see, I don't think this is something that can happen on accident. And it's, so it, to me, it kind of trivializes it to use the word uh, losing your salvation. But I do get the point that you're asking. What, what this text tells us is this, a few things. That there are definitely people who appear from all outward appearances to be Christians. I mean, look at this list that he gives here. They've been enlightened. That means there was darkness, but light came in. They tasted the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit. They tasted the goodness of the word of God. And they tasted the powers of the age to come. I mean, if you were to present me with a person and say that's their credentials, I'd be like, not only is that person a Christian, but maybe they should be a leader in a church because they sound like they've got some, they sound like they're, you know, definitely Christians. And yet he says that these people fall away and he says it is impossible for them to return to repentance. Now I'll give you the context that I gave in my sermon yesterday for understanding this text. And that is this, that if you look at the greater context, especially the first two verses of chapter six, the people that this letter was written to were people who were considering giving up on Christianity and going back into Judaism. And the reason they wanted to do that was because they were Jewish people who lived in a Jewish society and everybody in their society was Jewish and they were getting a hard time. They were getting a lot of pressure from people in that society to give up on Christianity because the people in that society maybe found it offensive. They didn't like the idea uh, of the cross. We know that, that the cross is an offense to those people. And so they didn't like the fact that these people believed in Jesus. And so there was this temptation for them to give in to the cultural pressure around them to give up on their faith in Christianity and in Jesus and in the cross and kind of go back into Judaism. 
And so what I believe that what the author is saying there is this. Apart from Jesus, it is impossible to be restored unto God. It's impossible to find repentance. And so I do believe that, that one of, maybe the best example of this would be the case of Judas and Peter. Right? So Judas and Peter. Essentially, Judas and Peter committed the same sin, if you boil it down, right? So they, what was their sin? They both, um, they both turned away from Jesus and turned their backs on Jesus. And they both uh, betrayed Jesus. They denied him. I mean, uh, Judas betrayed Jesus by handing him over to the authorities who were going to kill him. But Peter betrayed Jesus by denying that he even knew who he was. Right? He denied that, that he was... Um, he denied that he was Jesus' disciple. So both of them betrayed Jesus. In fact, they did it on the exact same night. But then Peter was restored to relationship with Jesus, and he was even restored to a position of leadership within the church. And yet Judas, although he kind of actually did have a form of repentance, right? So here's what Judas did. After he betrayed Jesus, it says that he felt so awful about what he had done. He felt so terrible that he took that bag of money and he went to the temple and he threw it into the temple and the bag of money was scattered onto the floor of the temple. And so he does this. He's expressing remorse over what he had done and, and he feels bad. But yet the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter goes to Jesus and is restored and receives forgiveness and restoration. And Judas doesn't. Judas hanged himself, unfortunately, and he never received that restoration to fellowship with Jesus that he could have if he would have gone to him. So all that to say this, can you lose your salvation? Well, let's, how about we not even use that term? Because I, I just think it's, um, it kind of trivializes the idea. It makes it seem like it's something that can happen to you on accident. I don't believe it's something that can happen to you on accident. Because even when you are not holding on to Jesus, well, he is holding on to you. And that is the, the glorious thing about the gospel. But can a person who absolutely, from all outward appearances, appears to be a believer, can they then fall away? Because now we're using biblical language found in Hebrews chapter 6. Yeah. They can. And what, what Hebrews 6 tells us is that unless you continue in Jesus, then you have no, you should not be confident in the fact that you still have salvation. And so having salvation is going to be fleshed out in your life by you following Jesus practically. Hope that answers your question. Maybe there's some others of you listening right now who have similar questions or who would like clarification. Feel free to call in. In the meantime, let's go to Michael on line one. Hi, Michael. Pastor Nick, God bless you, sir. God bless you. What can I do for you? Well, I, I, I started out with just wanting a, prayer, a specific a prayer request, uh, but uh, I still want that. But I want to tell you, I believe you're 100% right about what you're just speaking about. And, I, and I'm living proof of that because for when I, I became a Christian, I'm 60 years old. I became a Christian when I was like 17, 16 or 17. And for the majority of my Christian life, I played games with God and, and, my, my, and myself, and I did not walk as a Christian. I played a very good game of being acting Christian and talking Christianese. Mm -hmm. But it's not until years later when God really got hold of me through the efforts of others, people who, who love me despite myself, and God's changed my life, turned me around so much, 100, 100, 100, 180 degrees, 
And I'm, well, I don't believe a Christian can lose their salvation because once Jesus Christ has a hold on you, his patience is so beyond our understanding, and he does work on getting getting you to where he wants you to be, so that you could that you can be a, a, a an obedient son or daughter. Amen. So I agree with you, sir. That's awesome, Michael. I'm so glad to hear that God has done that work in your life and, and brought you to that place. Hey, I just want to give you a heads up. We're going to go to break in about 30 seconds here. So are you willing to hang on while we go to break? Sure, I'll hang on. Great. We lo- I'd love to continue with you and hear your prayer request and, and pray for you right after the break. We're coming up on the break right now. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont uh, here with you now every Monday. And we'll be back after this two-minute break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. Uh, I'll be hosting the show now every Monday. I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. You can check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. And if you live in this area around... uh, North Boulder, Longmont, even North Metro area, we'd love to have you come and uh, check out our church Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in downtown Longmont at the St. Vrain Memorial Building at 700 Longs Peak Avenue, right in downtown on the southeast corner of Roosevelt Park. Again, check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. I'm excited to be hosting the show now on every Monday, uh, taking over for Pastor Nate Morris, who's a, a great guy and he's done a great job on this show. And so, Good shoes to fill. The number to call is 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. Before the break, we were talking to Michael in Denver. So let's go back to Michael if he's still there. Hi, Michael. I'm still here, Pastor Nick. All right. Thanks for hanging Uh, on. Hey, so what's your prayer request? How can we be praying for you? Well, it's not for me so much as I I started going... I started going to uh, the to an Anglican church in Inglewood called the Wellspring, and it's a very good church. God is working for that church, and they've and they've and they've they've launched out and they've got their second plant church out now, and it's called the Rizo the Rizo Church, which is it's a plant church off of the uh, off the Wellspring, okay. and I, I just want to. I just want prayer for the pastor, for the church. His name is Brent. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just want prayer for it, that God would continue to work with it. Let his will be done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's go ahead and pray for uh, Brent. Okay, okay I'm going to go ahead and hang up, and you go ahead and do the prayer, Pastor. Okay. God bless you. God bless you, Michael. All right, Michael was asking that we pray for Brent and the church plant down there in um in Denver, and we're also going to be. I, I just also like to pray for other churches around this whole area who are preaching Jesus and uh, church plants that are taking place. There's so much that God's at uh, at work doing, and so let's go ahead and pray for. 
that. Lord, thank you for Michael. Thank you for him calling in and thank you for the work that you're doing in his life. I thank you that he's part of a good church, Lord. And I pray for this church plant he mentioned in Inglewood, Lord, and for Pastor Brent there. Lord, I pray that Brent would be a pastor who preaches Jesus. Lord, I pray that he would be a a pastor who, who loves people and who teaches your word. And Lord, that people would go to that place and if they go there, Lord, they would grow in the knowledge of you and they would go, grow in your grace. Lord, we also pray for other churches in this area and for the churches uh, of people who are listening. Lord, we ask that all churches that are teaching your word, Lord, that you would anoint them to teach your word, that, that it would go out in power. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that when your word goes out, it accomplishes that for which you send it out. It doesn't return void. And so we take hold of that promise. We believe that. And we believe that for our churches, Lord. And this, as we go about this coming week up until this coming Sunday, Lord, we pray that uh, churches, as they have their midweek services, Lord, that you would anoint and you would bless the preaching of your word and the discipling of the brethren. Lord, we pray that people would grow in the grace and knowledge of you and that you do a great work up and down the front range of Colorado and on the East Coast, wherever people are listening, Lord, we ask that you would do a great work in the places where we live and that more and more people would be brought out of darkness and into light and into the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. So thank you, Michael, for calling in. Let's go to line two where we've got Carol in Colorado Springs. Hi, Carol. Hi, Pastor Nick. So good to have you on the program. What's going on? Well, I had a question um, that uh, I'm a little confused about. And, of course, I wanted to see what your opinion was in terms of, not really opinion, but what your knowledge of what it says in the Bible about being an organ donor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're getting your driver's license or you're having a will done and you have this wonderful, what seems like a wonderful opportunity to, uh, to offer that up, is that, I just don't know how God feels about that. Yeah, well, so the Bible doesn't actually talk about organ donation and organ transplantation per se. And, of course, that's because that uh, wasn't wasn't around then. Around then. But I will tell you a few thoughts I have. First, I'll tell you why people would even take issue with it in the first place. And then I'll tell you why, personally, I'm an advocate of it. I I am an organ donor, and um, I think it's a good thing to do. So the reason why anybody would even have a problem with that to begin with could probably, and I think this is really the only place they must be going to, two verses come to mind. One of them is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, which talks about, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you had from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so the idea behind that is that some people think that organ donation or organ harvesting is a form of mutilating the body. Uh, okay. Another reason why somebody might have a problem with it, they go back to places like in Leviticus where it talks about how life is found in the blood. So some people won't even um, receive blood transfusions. Um, now, I wouldn't say that that's normal for Christians. I would say that, I mean, there are some groups, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses have historically refused um, blood transfusions because of that reason. They believe that uh, there's something desecrating about taking someone else's uh, blood into their body because life is in the blood. Um, personally, I think that that's, um, I, I don't really think that that's the meaning. I don't think it's how we should understand those verses. You know, I mean, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and you look at what he's talking about, he's talking about practicing immorality in your flesh. I mean, he's literally, in that <laughs> case, he's specifically I mean, speaking very about yeah. sexual immorality. 
Uh, I think that in the case of organ donation, that's a selfless act. That's not uh, a selfish thing. That is a selfless act that you're doing in order to bless somebody else. So, I mean, if you look at Jesus' mandate for us to love your neighbor as yourself, if you, if you look at Paul in um, Romans 13, he says, you know, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He quotes it there. It's quoted in James chapter 2. Uh, it's actually found all the way back in the law of Moses in Leviticus 19. It talks about love your neighbor as yourself for I am your Lord. And so, you know, we could also look at uh, another example. Jesus talks about caring for those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, and imprisoned. And I wonder if you might also put in that list those who are dying, you know, physically. Uh, this is a way that I think that we can serve them. I mean, our our physical bodies, I'll tell you another place where a thought like this might come from, like why it would not be a good thing to do, is because um, historically some groups have thought that, you know, when the resurrection of the body takes place, if you have somehow mutilated your body, another great example of this would be they would say, you know, you shouldn't get cremated. Right. I, that's, what I, that's what it all started from, where the questions began, um, because there were uh, Christian faiths who believed that uh, we shouldn't be cremated. Um, up until fairly recently, some of the churches have changed their mind on that. But, you're, yeah, yeah so, that's what started it. Mm -hmm. y yeah. And so the idea being that if you somehow disassemble your body or cremate it or it's burned by fire, that it, when the resurrection happens, that you won't be able to be resurrected. And um, I mean, I think that if we really just logically think about that and think about God and think about how, you know, molecules and particles work, I don't really think that that's going to be a problem. I think that if God can make <laughs> people out of I don't think God is limited dirt, in that way, huh? Yeah, I think that he um, can find out. You know, our the parts. thing is, many people have died in fires, you know, and, and had their bodies mutilated in different ways. So we know, so I know from that standpoint that um, that piece of it uh, wasn't, couldn't really um it just didn't hold up sure. but the other piece was um the one where are we somehow trying to play god um if if we donate a a, a body part that can save a life when maybe that person was um meant to you know to go at that at that moment but again it goes back to god's in control of everything right so yeah well, he would I mean, decide anyway. follow that same logic. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, especially when it comes to organ transplants, because it's not like it's just easy to pop in a new organ and it just works always right away. And it's sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a much more complicated uh, process. Um, but in that question of playing God, I mean, there are a thousand ways in which you could say that you are, you know, you could be accused of playing God in your everyday life. So, for example, you know, should you uh, put on your seatbelt when you're riding in your car, or should you just uh, leave that up to God as to whether or not you're going to survive that car accident? Uh, should you take medicine when you're sick? If there is a cure available, should you just let yourself die, or should you, quote-unquote, play God? So <laughs> my perspective on that is that I do yeah. believe that God has given us the knowledge, the ability to do these things and discover these things. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that it's actually a mandate from God that we discover this world and that we, I would put it this way, quote, bring it under submission. So I, I believe that when you go back to the cultural mandate and the, and the mandate from the beginning of the Bible, which uh, where we are told to, you know, 
rule over the earth and subdue it. I think there are a few things involved in that. I don't think that that means, um, you know, strip mining per se, like just, hey, just take all the resources from the world and use them for whatever you want because, you know, just this is your thing to do whatever you want with. I think right, what you're that saying would be is, in the wasteful category, right? Absolutely. It would be being okay. a bad steward of what God's given us. But I, I would say that God has, on the other hand, he said, hey, here's the world. Here, you know, it's full of minerals, resources. I want you to find them. I want you to discover them. I want you to use them for the, for the flourishing of humanity, for the good of people. And in this way, we can be a blessing to other people. And in that way, in you know, many ways, we can do the work of God. So in that sense, I, I don't think that it's a problem. Okay. Fantastic. I appreciate that information very much. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for calling in. And Uh, thank you. you. All right. Yeah. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, on the air with you today, now, and every Monday, taking your calls and texts. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. We're going to go to line three, where we've got Christina on the air. Hi, Christina. You're on the air. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. How are you? I'm doing well. What's going on? Good. Um, I recently just discovered um, that my seven-year-old daughter has been bullying another girl in her classroom, Mm. and I'm just wondering how do I sit down and talk to her and explain what bullying is in God's eyes and about making better choices? Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple perspectives, uh, and then uh, well, uh, pray for your daughter and you, and you, because that's a tough situation to be in. And I appreciate yeah. you calling in, because I think a lot of people, you know, have been on the other end of that, where their kids have gotten bullied or they themselves have been bullied. But, but I love the fact that you're calling in just as a parent saying, "Look, this is happening. I can't have this happening. How do I approach this?" So right. Well, I, just, I mean, what hit close to home is that my son was actually being bullied, my older son, and I went and talked to the boy's parents just last week. And I mean, so to be on the other end of the spectrum, it was just yeah. hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So let me give you a few perspectives on this. And, uh, you know, it's actually very timely for me because one of the things I was going to mention on the air here, but I, I'll just mention it now, is that uh, here at Whitefields in Longmont, one of the things that we've been doing lately is we started a school of ministry. And so we do these classes, right? And so we have a mm-hmm. class tonight and I was just studying for it before the show. And it's a class on the minor prophets. And I think that's an interesting section of scripture because it's one that a lot of people kind of skip over and they mm-hmm. don't read. And a lot of the reason for that is because it's kind of hard to read sometimes. And so one of the books we're studying uh, tonight in our, our minor prophets class is the book of Amos. And the reason I bring that up is because Amos is actually a book which deals with a lot of the same stuff that you're talking about. So the context of Amos is this, that the people of Israel had become wealthy and they were, you know, stable. They weren't under attack. In fact, they were becoming, they were taking land from other nations. And then, uh, you know, there was just this kind of thought that, hey, you know, things are going well for us. And maybe even an assumption that because things were going well for them, that God, that meant that God was pleased with them or happy with them. And so Mm -hmm. Amos speaks to them and says, you know, basically you guys are being bullies, especially you rich people. You're mistreating the poor and you're not taking care of the, the weak and the poor. And there's this 
this is one of the great themes of the prophetic books is this theme that God loves and cares for the weakest in society and that if we are to be his people, that means that we should absolutely care for the weakest people in society. And so they call it the quartet of the vulnerable is really like these four groups of people that over and over in the prophetic books, they're told, you know, these are the people who you need to take care of. Anyway, it, they are here. I'll tell you who they are. They're the poor, orphans, mm -hmm. widows and immigrants. But I think in our day we could add a lot of other people to that. You know, think about mentally handicapped people or, um, you know, anybody who's really at a disadvantage or who's vulnerable to being right. picked on or being, you know, mistreated and God says uh, I love those people and one of the things that's really interesting about that is that in the Old Testament times right there was this God Baal and Baal was the God of power and so there's a very big difference between Baal like the God of power who helps you become powerful and mm -hmm. and the God of the Israelites you know Yahweh who tells people no I want you to love the weak I want you to defend the the defenseless I want you to take care of those who are vulnerable even at your own expense and so um anyway in amos what he does there is he, he really chastises the people of israel i mean he tells them guys you know this you're going to be disciplined and that's what happens mm -hmm. you know he he brings discipline on them uh in the form of the assyrians coming in and taking taking them away to captivity but then at the very end of the book of amos he gives them this vision he says look uh I am going to restore you. Basically, I love you. I haven't given up on you. This isn't me telling you that I don't love you and don't care about you. This is me telling you that I love you and care about you so much that I cannot let you, you know, to put it in terms of a child, I cannot let you grow up to be a terrible person who hurts other people. Right. You know, right. and and so um, I would direct you to Hebrews chapter 12, which kind of gives us a New Testament perspective on this on about God okay. and about love and and uh, discipline so here's what it says Hebrews 12 starting in verse 5 do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord do not be weary when reproved by the Lord for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives and he says this if if God is disciplining you God is treating you as sons for what son is there that is not disciplined by their father if you are not disciplined um, then you are like illegitimate children and not sons. And he says, um, therefore, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. He says, for the moment, all discipline is painful and not pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So I just would give you this advice to sum it all up. I would really help you. I would really encourage you to try to help your daughter to see that to be uh, God's people it means mm -hmm. to reflect God's heart and that God absolutely loves. He shows special love and attention to those who are, are weak, vulnerable, uh, those who for some reason don't fit in. He, throughout the Bible, favors those people, actually. And yeah. I, would, I would encourage you to do as much pointing out of that as you can. But then okay. I would also encourage you to have some form of discipline, you know, because oh, like yeah. it says there that God disciplines the one he loves because... Yeah, I plan on having her write an apology letter tonight and just really understanding that her actions, you know, can really hurt somebody and um, they are hurting somebody. So. Yeah. Well, let's pray for your daughter and for you. Okay. 
So Heavenly Father, we pray for Christina and her daughter and her son too. Lord, just bullying is such an issue and it, it's an issue that can be so hurtful and damaging for people long term. So Lord, we pray that you give Christina wisdom as she talks to her daughter. And we just pray, Lord, that you by your spirit, you would get through to her daughter and that she would understand. And Lord, that she would have a, a, a heart, even at that young age, that's contrite and repentant and just wants to change and that wants to love people the way that you love people. So Lord, we pray that you would put that love for the weak and the vulnerable in her heart. And Lord, that you would guide Christina in how to best speak to her daughter. So we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for calling well, in. Well, thank you. I really God appreciate it. Awesome. All right. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I am here with you now on Mondays, taking your calls and texts on the air. We've got two open lines right now and about 10 minutes left in the show. So the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to line one where we've got Tong in Westminster. Hi, Tong. Uh, hi, hi, Pastor. Uh, I'm Chinese. I'm a speaker of Chinese Mandarin. I hope uh, you can understand my question. Okay. Uh, I'm right now in the beauty school, and uh, I see as a friend, her name is Inez. And uh, she believe uh, Jo Jehovah's wisdom, and uh, Jehovah's with, witnesses. Yeah. yeah. And then I try to talk to her how about uh, I do believe uh, three in one God, Father, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity. And I said I tell her Jesus is God, and he she says no. And then she has a you believe yours, I believe mine. And then uh, I gave her a Bible study fellowship for the ladies. Uh, the the card so who uh, uh, do do I am sure or something like that thing I said check this has a Bible uh, that's a version and you check your Bible see how the same or different yes then, they have their own Bible it's called the New World Translation yeah that's a different I have one somebody gave to me in Chinese I read that it totally is wrong I saw that and make me hurt. And then I don't know how to explain to her. She speaks Spanish, I speak Chinese, and we are second, second language in, in English. So we have a hard conversation. I really yeah. need somebody who can speak Spanish, can help me to tell her the truth. I, I told her, I go this way, but I see you go another way. And I don't want you to go the wrong way. And she has a very belief, a very, very strong belief. I said, that's good, but if you go wrong way, then what happens in the future? And yeah. then she doesn't understand. So I don't know what should I do. Okay, yeah. Well, let me just tell you some of the main differences about uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and then I would tell you some of the ways to approach talking to your friend about oh. uh, the okay. gospel. And yeah. So the reason why they found it necessary to come up with their own Bible, they call it uh, their own translation, but it's a very suspect translation because meaning it's not a true translation. Um, the reason that they came up with their own translation is because the Jehovah's Witnesses do believe in studying the Bible, but they believe that the Bible has in a way been corrupted meaning that, that you can't trust it. But in another way, they also believe that uh, the average person cannot understand the Bible. So if you were to go to Jehovah's Witness Church, they wouldn't be reading out of the Bible. They'd be mostly reading 
um, from their magazine, the Watchtower magazine. Oh, and so, okay. Yeah, and so in that magazine, they have Bible studies, so to say, or they have articles which explain the Bible because they don't believe that every person is capable of reading the Bible for themselves. Now, I think as Christians, you know, I talked earlier about how we're going to be doing a series on the Reformation at our church. And one of the key factors in the Reformation was putting the Bible into the hands of the people and believing that God has given us the ability to read the Bible and understand it. And, and I believe that's true. And so what they're essentially doing is they're taking the Bible out of people's hands because, in my opinion, they're afraid that if people do read it, that people will realize that the things that they're teaching are not what the Bible teaches. Now, one of their key doctrinal differences, and I would tell you this, this is really how you differentiate Christianity from everything else out there. It's okay. two things. Number one, who is Jesus? And number two, how can a person be saved? Okay, those are the two things. If you take those two things, you will find that that is what sets Christianity apart from every other uh, religion in the world. And okay. so here's uh, and here's what really makes Jehovah's Witnesses not Christians is what they believe about Jesus and what they believe about how to be saved. OK, so here's what they believe about Jesus. They do not believe that Jesus is God and they believe that Jesus is a created being. Um, and and that's really key for them. They do not um, believe that Jesus is God. So they don't believe in the Trinity. I think uh most importantly, yeah, they deny that Jesus is God. Secondly, they do not believe that you are saved by uh, Jesus and what he did for you alone. So I mentioned earlier, again, I mentioned the five, we call them the five solas of the Reformation. There are five pillars of the, of, the, of the Reformation. And one of them was that you're saved by Christ alone. Another one is that you're saved by grace alone and through faith alone. And why those are so important is because when we come up against groups like this, they do not believe that you are saved by Christ alone. They believe that you're not saved by grace alone. They don't believe that you're saved through faith alone. They believe that uh, you are saved by a little bit of what Jesus did, but a lot of what you need to do in order to prove yourself and earn your salvation. And so that's why, that's why they're actually very active. I mean, to be honest, in a way... Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses put many Christians to shame in their and their zealousness and their activity. But the sad part is that what drives their activity a lot of times is um, is this sense that they need to prove themselves and they need to earn their way. And so those are the two main things. How who is Jesus and how do you get saved? So Christians would say that Jesus is the son of God. In fact, he is God. He is God come to us to die for our sins on the cross and to resurrect so that we can have eternal life and that we receive that grace, which is a free gift. We receive that grace by faith, and that is how we are saved. So Jehovah's Witness would say that Jesus is not God. He's a created being. And, um, and they would say that um, the way that you are saved is not by what Jesus did for you alone, but... Um, in large part by what you need to do for yourself through good works uh, in order to save yourself. Now, here's the other thing that the Jehovah's Witnesses teach um, is that they teach a kind of universalism. So they believe that 140,000 people, 144,000, I'm sorry, will go to heaven 
but that everybody else will live in the new heavens and the new earth. And so they, they would say that um, only a select number of people go to heaven, heaven, like, you know, with God. Everybody else is going to live on a renewed earth. So whether you believe their doctrine or not, in the end, kind of doesn't matter because there's more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. And, um, you know, so that means that not even all Jehovah's Witnesses are going to go to heaven according to their own teachings. So here's what I would tell you how to talk about this with your friend. I would start with challenging the, well, first of all, by telling them what the Bible says. Secondly, I would go into challenging their organization. I mean, their organization has only existed since 1870 as a Bible study, but they, they've really only grown in, in the 20th century. And so my question would be, do you really think that God would allow everyone to just not know the truth for almost 2,000 years? Do you think that God would allow his word to be so corrupted that it was completely lost until your mm -hmm. leader came around? And the other part would be, why don't your leaders allow you or encourage you to read the Bible for yourself? Those would be the questions I would ask you. But I would also take her and show her a Bible that is not a Jehovah's Witness Bible, that is a Bible that you can buy in any bookstore that's recognized by every Christian. And, and I would show her, I'd start showing her those verses, like John chapter 1, verse 1, John chapter 1, verse 14, John chapter 8, verse 58. These are all places where Jesus asserts that he is not just another person, not just a good person, not even just a person from heaven, but that he is, in fact, God. So I'm going to pray for you. God, would you please bless Tong, give her your words to speak, and anoint her. In Jesus' name, we pray for enlightenment for her friend that she would see Jesus and understand the gospel. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in today. You've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Nick Cady. I'm a pastor of Whitefields Community Church, and I will see you next Monday. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.